It's good to see everyone. Great to see you. Happy New Year. That's good. I thought I'd have to ask you two or three times. That's good. Uh, Happy New Year. I hope your New Year started off well. Um, And even if it hasn't, I hope I can be a a blessing and an encouragement to you this morning as I teach from the Bible. If you don't know me and you're new, you're really welcome here. My name is Philip. I I lead the church and I'm going to teach from the Bible as we do every week, whether it's New Year or not. Before I do that, maybe I can help you as well with some resources that I thought might be helpful. Do you remember before Christmas, if you were here, I was speaking about Christmas and I was talking about the nature of Christmas being that God loves to draw unlikely people. Christians themselves are unlikely people to be drawn to the heart of God. He loves to do that. We looked at the wise men, nativity story and stuff, and I encourage you to be uh, expecting God to use you to draw unlikely people to himself. Well, I came across a really helpful podcast called The Hinge, and The Hinge is a great concept. Uh, It's two friends. Uh, One's a a Christian, happens to be a pastor. One's an atheist. They're really good friends, and they're doing a podcast together where they're exploring uh, the person and the claim to Jesus together, episode by episode. They're kind of quite wise in my view. They've honed in on Jesus as their main uh, person to investigate, the resurrection specifically. And they're just looking at the evidence for him, the claims against and for as two friends, an atheist and a Christian, exploring together. And one of the values we have here at King's Church is we love to help people explore faith for the first time. We love to help all of our people continue to explore the gospel, to continue to explore faith. Exploring doesn't stop when you come to faith. In fact, if anything, it kicks in as you come across loads and loads more questions. So The Hinge is a great podcast for anyone who wants to help their friends explore faith, for a Christian who wants to kind of ensure there, are, there is evidence and sustainable, credible evidence for their faith. So I would recommend that to you. Another resource in terms of prayer and fasting, if we could put the slide up again, Seamus, that'd be great. Becca's already been through it with you, but you should get a little uh, booklet either now or afterwards, which I hope will really help you with the nature of prayer and fasting. I'm not going to refer much this morning to um, the specifics of prayer and fasting, but the booklet, I hope, tells you all that you need to know about why we believe in it, why it's a wonderful thing to do, how you can do it well and fruitfully, and God can really move. So grab a, grab a, um, a booklet uh, from the stewards, the welcome team afterwards. If you're not on our mailing list, subscribe to that at our connect point you can get a daily podcast each morning this week it's going to help you just to ground yourself in the word to explore God in, in prayer and fasting that day so there's a few resources there for you and finally I shared on the King's Church Notice Board Facebook page last night a great resource that talks more about fasting from another uh, pastor in London part of our New Frontiers network so again if you're not on that connect with Anna at the connect point after to get on our King's Church Facebook page and Toppy does a great job for seven minutes to explain something more of fasting that I'm not going to do now so hope there's some helpful resources for you. But what I'm going to do, I hope, is to help us go into this week with a sense of vision and momentum and excitement. And to do that, I'm going to teach from John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, turn to them or uh, press start on them, and it'll also appear on on the screen behind me. Bit of context for you before we dive into the passage. John 15 is known as part of the farewell discourse. So um, that's what theologians like to call it because this is part of what Jesus said the night before he died. And the other thing you need to know is that Jesus is seven times throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has talked about himself by saying, I am. Done it six times, he does it for a seventh time now. He said things like, I am the bread of life, and I am uh, the light of the world, I am the good shepherd, and so on. And this is the seventh time where he uses a different metaphor to describe who he is. And in this instance, he says, I am the vine. So you notice with the good shepherd and those, those sorts of things, Jesus chooses particularly relevant metaphors for his first century kind of agricultural context that's going to connect with people. And he does the same thing with this vine, the idea of a vineyard. I mean, in simple terms, what he's getting at is that he is the vine, 
And Christian is connected to him, so they're the branch, and God the Father is the farmer, the vine dresser, the gardener who tends to it. That's the metaphor that he's using to help us understand who he is, and he's doing it the night before his death. I don't know about you, if I was facing my death the following day, I would not be looking to teach and love and help people understand uh, all kinds of things about their future. I'm thinking about myself. But Jesus' love is such that he's helping his disciples to see who they are and how they're going to live in light of what he's about to do the following day. Make sense? Good. John chapter 15. I'll read it to us. Uh, Verse 1. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full." There was a word there that Jesus used an awful lot. I think you would have spotted it because he used it 10 times. He uses the word abide over and over again. And abide isn't really a a word I think we use that much in our kind of modern language. We might say something like memories that abide or abiding memories. You might use that kind of phrase, meaning memories that stick with us, memories that stay, memories that remain. And that's what Jesus is getting at by this use of the word abide. He means remain. Abide in me, remain in me. Abide in my love, remain in my love. Abide in my love. And that's the title of this message this morning in these next few minutes. And that's the phrase, actually, as I've been praying for us and for you. I've been praying that phrase. Um, if you're going to walk with us this week as a community into prayer and fasting, either because you're brand new or because you've been here for a while, I'm really praying this phrase, abide in my love, will be the phrase that kind of sticks with you, um, abides with you, if, if I might say, and helps you go through this week. Abide in my love. Because this week is a week of prayer and fasting. It's something the churches have been doing for 2,000 years. But prayer and fasting is not a, it's not about a, a religious adherence. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to adhere to some age-old religious tr- Christian values, though they are. We're not trying to try really hard and persuade God to get on board with our plans. That could be something that can kind of creep in, something like prayer and fasting. I'm, I'm doing all this, God, so come on, get with the program. That's not what this week is about. And we're not kind of trying to discipline ourselves to do better in 2018. It's not a New Year's resolution in that sense. A week of prayer and fasting as a community of, uh, as a church, is about an opportunity to intentionally abide in 
the love of God, to be intentional about remaining in him, abiding in him, having his love be the key dynamic that flows into us and out of us, into our weeks. It's about getting him. It's not about just getting stuff from him, abiding in his love. And I could just stop there because that would be, that phrase could live with us and off we go. But it seems that Jesus tells us what we can expect from a week like this. If we choose in whatever way, and it's going to be different for all of us, prayer and fasting is the, the key way this week. There are all kinds of ways that all of us have to connect and to abide and to remain in God. But if you choose to do so for the first time maybe or for a fresh time, what can you expect to experience? Because Jesus, I think, gives us some hints And in a genuinely radical break from tradition, I think I have four or five points and not three. Um, So I hope you can cope with that. Here we go. I think the first thing that Jesus says we can expect from abiding in his love is to be fruitful. Did you see that? Over and over again, he connected abiding, remaining with being fruitful. And I guess all of us want to be fruitful. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever worldview you've come with this morning, all of us would love to be fruitful in a sense of being effective, being productive, if I can use that kind of word, being successful. We want to be fruitful people. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants you to be a fruitful person. Jesus was deeply fruitful in his actions, in his deeds. He, he taught and he healed and he saw people released and freed and step into their destiny. He, he raised leaders that would establish the church. He was a very fruitful person in action and in deed. And God wants us to bring our gifts and our talents and our skills and our resources to the table, and for them to be fruitful, effective, successful, productive, if I can use that kind of more corporate word. And fruitfulness is not only about our actions and our deeds, it's also about our character. And I think from the sweep of scripture, I would say it's probably more about our character than our deed. That's what I've been, I've been, I found this passage really hard this week, I'll just be honest with you. Really hard to, to sort of understand, uh, to sense what God's saying. And one of the things I think he's been saying, at least to me and maybe to you as well, is the primary thing he's interested in is, is the heart over and above the activity. And I'm a bit of an activist, and I know some of you are too. We want to get the stuff done and do it well. Time's ticking. But the primary fruitfulness that God is interested in, and I think the Bible bears this out, is what's in here. And you look at Galatians 5, and we, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Paul describes the fruitfulness that comes when the Spirit of God is in us. In other words, when the branch is connected to the vine, there's a fruitfulness that comes. And it's primarily to do with character. He talks about things like kindness and goodness and gentleness and peace and love and self-control. So the primary, I think, at least for us this morning, the primary fruitfulness that God has in mind when we abide in his love is the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know about you, but if we were a community of people that this week went further on in kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, peace, love, self-control, I think I've left one out, good, joy, (laughs) remembering things, is that one of them? That would be an exciting community to be a part of, wouldn't it? that was growing in peace, joy, all those things. An exciting community to taste. You'd be even more wonderful spouses and friends and colleagues and employees and bosses to have around if abiding in the love of God this week meant that the fruit of the Spirit was growing more and more. Jesus is saying, I'm the source of true fruitfulness. 
Just as an aside, that he uses the word vine not because it's a, an agricultural metaphor that his disciples would have kind of connected with because they'd have walked past vineyards all the time. He also uses it because in the Old Testament, and these are Jewish people, the vine was how Israel was often described in unfruitful terms. So the Jew, these Jewish men knew when it comes to the vine and fruitfulness, oh, that's what Israel's supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be. We're not always like that. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. What you can't do, I can do. If you're connected to me and you remain in me, you can be truly fruitful. So these guys are listening up very carefully because they're realizing he's making claims about what our people have been unable to do consistently for hundreds of years. And he's making the same claims this morning. Number two, not only is there a promise to be fruitful, there's a promise that abiding in the love of Jesus also results in pruning. This is where my message gets a little bit less comfortable. And you'll start to understand why I've been kind of wrestling and, and in some degree struggling this week. He says that if you are fruitful, in verse two, you will be pruned. So he's using that vineyard metaphor of being kind of cut back going to show you a short video. And in this video, it's a bit old and dated, as Seamus has already commented, because he's far trendier than me. But in this dated little video, it's very simple. It's just an American vine dresser, vineyard owner, and he's just going to tell us what he understands pruning of a vineyard to be like. So he's going to kind of hope, bring the metaphor alive for us. We'll see. Hi, I'm Uh, this time of year, we're busy pruning the vineyard, and uh, in terms of winemaking, the pruning really is the most important part of the winemaking process, because what we do in the vineyard here at the beginning of the year is, has huge ramifications on the quality of the wine that we're making. What I want to start off first with is really defining what uh, the parts of the grapevine of what we've got. We've got the, the trunk. And then we've got the cordons, and there's really, you know, or the arms. And there's on this system, there are two arms because it's a dual cordon trellis system. Coming out of the cordon then are the spurs. And then from the spurs, we have the canes. And that's where the grapes come off of, is on the canes each year. And so what we're doing now is grapes only come off of second year wood, we call it. So we have to prune back last year's wood so we can get new grapes on this right now. So what we're looking for off of each spur is to prune down to one cane. And on each cane, we prune to two buds. Each bud will then grow into a cane itself. And each cane then has two clusters. All right, so here's the spur. And so from last year, this is last year's wood, or the year before last. And then when we pruned, we wound up getting one cane coming off of here, which was originally was a bud, and then this one here. So this year, we want to go down to one cane. We prune there, and there's one bud at the base and one bud here, and we prune here. Then this bud will turn out to be a brand new cane for this year, and one will come off here at the base and come on up, and each cane will produce two clusters of grapes. So that pretty much wraps up on how, what we do for uh, pruning in the vineyard. Um, as I said, you know, the work that we do out here really is about the quality of the wine that we make later on. Uh, we have 30 acres of grape here, a little over 12,000 vines. 
Uh, you can see it takes a little bit of thought and a little bit of process to get it done. It takes on average about 500 man hours to prune the entire vineyard. So thank you very much. This is Stefano with Avio Vineyards. Now you might get a bit bogged down as I did initially in the, the canes and the buds and the, all that kind of stuff. But what stood out for me when I watched that? Well, two things, and I'll come to the second one in a moment. The first thing is he says this, pruning is the most important part of the winemaking process because what we do has huge ramifications on the quality of the wine that we're making. Pruning is the most important part of the winemaking process or the character fruitfulness process because what we do has huge ramifications on the quality of the wine, the character, the person that we're making. And that, I think, is what Jesus is getting at. And his listeners would have got that because they saw those kind of scenes maybe more regularly than we do, walking through vineyards and so on. But it's tough because the second thing that struck me was the kind of crunch moment. Did that get you as well? When he, he cut the, whatever he cut, cane, was it? Crunch. And that's kind of hard as well because it's like, is that what God's like? Is, does God come with a pair of, uh, what, uh, what do they call those? That's a lot of it. Secateurs. Nice. You'd have, thought I'd have, you'd have thought I'd have found that out. Does God come with a kind of sharp pair of secateurs and, and come to our lives and go crunch off? I don't think that. I don't think he does because the rest of the scripture tells us the, the tenderness with which he fathers us. It tells us the faithfulness. It tells us the, the gentleness with which he, he fathers us and leads us and teaches us. We know that gentleness is the fruit of the Spirit and gentleness comes ultimately from God, the source of all good things. So it's kind of an imperfect metaphor. But on the other hand, what is coming through is that even though there's a short-term crunch in there, that vine dresser is doing that because he knows it's going to result in fruit. He is that committed to his vineyard, probably his bank balance, I assume, that he's going to bring the secateurs and do the crunch because he knows that without that, he doesn't get fruitfulness. Fruitfulness will just plateau off. And Jesus is saying, the more fruit that you bear because you're abiding and remaining in me and my love, you can expect pruning. Oh, we don't like that. That's not in our vision statement as a church if we had one. Expect to be pruned, crunch. <laughs> but God is so committed to your character particularly and also your activity of fruitfulness that he comes in all kinds of ways as a perfect gardener and he will prune us back. That might be through loss or through disappointment or through in his sovereign grace allowing things to happen that he doesn't in any way delight in but he can still work through and so I guess the question I have for myself, and you can join in with me if you like, is this week, am I open to, to pruning? Am I open to God coming gently and in his sovereign grace and pruning me back? My experience is that hindsight is a wonderful thing. Like most cliches, it carries some truth. And in hindsight, I can look back at those pruning times of loss or, or disappointment or frustration or a sense of I'm being cut back, I'm not bearing any fruit, and I can see I think there might be some character fruitfulness taking place, actually, especially in those situations. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, and you, I think you would know that as well from our common experience, the toughest times can be the most formative of times. But it's usually hindsight, isn't it, that tells us that. 
So again, what about us being a people who are able, I'm speaking to myself as much as you, who within the pruning experience can say, God, I don't like this. It feels like a crunch, but I trust you that you're doing it for fruitfulness, for character, in order to change me a bit more into the likeness of Jesus, which is God's primary ambition for you. Sometimes my primary ambition for myself is that I might do more productive stuff. God's primary ambition for me and for you is that I might become a little bit more like Jesus, the source of perfect character, peace, self-control, gentleness, kindness, goodness, love. One more again, joy. I should prioritize that this week. Number three. So you abide in his love this week through prayer and fasting, expect to be fruitful. Expect to be pruned, or at least to have the perspective on pruning when it comes. Number three, and this is where it gets even trickier. There is a warning when we abide in the love of God. If you've read anything of what Jesus has to say, he says things that make us go, wow, it's amazing, Jesus. You are just wonderful. Sign me up for following you. And he, makes things, and he also says things that make us go, Ugh, or what? Or seriously? Or that's offensive. You read Jesus at any time at all, he says things that are deeply hard to listen to. And my rationale for that is he's God, so he thinks differently to what I do. So my responsibility as a Christian is to try and understand what he means, not to get him to fit my program. And he says some tough stuff. Did you clock it? Verse 2. Excuse me. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Hmm, not on the vision statement on the website either. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. <laughs> Maybe now you can see why I've been wrestling and struggling this week a bit. Because it's hard. What does Jesus not mean? Before I look at what he does mean... What does he not mean? Because people have tripped up here by misunderstanding what he means. He does not mean that if a Christian is not faithfully abiding, remaining in him, or is failing to be fruitful, that they are cut off and abandoned. It's not what he's getting at. He doesn't mean that if a Christian, somebody who's truly united to the vine, so the Bible talks about being united to Christ, he doesn't mean that a Christian can be united to himself and then through their failures can find themselves separated from him forever. It's not what he means. Why do I know that? Not just because I want it to be true, but because he says it's true. Earlier on in, uh, in the book of, in the in Gospel of John itself, uh, Jesus says this, I, speaking about himself, give them, Christians, eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That's a very clear statement from Jesus. He's bending over backwards there to say, when I choose someone, I initiate my grace towards someone and they respond in faith and they become united to me like a branch to a vine, nothing uh, will separate them from me. Nothing will break that branch of the vine. 
at the decision made, if you like, in the heavens, in eternity, that God says, I want he or she and my family. I'm going to initiate my grace towards them, draw them to myself, and I will ensure they come all the way through to eternal life with me. And I can quote you many scriptures to back that up. Neither does Jesus mean if somebody for a time rejects their faith or walks away from the local church or abandons their faith, that God or indeed we should cut them off for a while or turn our back on them if someone is, is rejecting things for a while. Why do I know that? Because in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. He describes somebody who does exactly that. And uh, he describes God, the Father's heart towards that person, doesn't he? God is patient, kind, and God cannot wait with open arms and a party to welcome that person back into his arms. So we know that's not what Jesus means either. So what does he mean? What he means, my conclusion is, from looking through uh, scripture and praying and wrestling, <laughs> exploring, something we all do, I trust, is this. In verse 8, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Elsewhere, Jesus says, by your fruit, people will know you are my disciples. So what he's saying is, your fruitfulness or your ability to be fruitful has nothing to do with how you became a Christian. But your fruitfulness is evidence that you are a Christian. You see the difference? That's still hard. Because some of you, especially those of us who are inclined towards kind of moralism, if you like, feeling like what we do is really, really important towards God, some of us might be thinking, hang on a minute, I don't feel very fruitful at the moment. I'm not reading much of my Bible. I'm not praying very much. My character doesn't seem to be changing. I lost my temper yesterday. There's not much self-control there. So does that mean I'm going to... It's hard. But Jesus is getting at a dynamic that has always existed at his time and ever since that there will be people who will be attached to him but will not be truly united to him. And the way to, or one of the ways to evidence that is the fruit that comes. So over the course of time, if, if somebody is, is showing no development in their character, it's not becoming any more like Jesus at all than when they began, it's possible they were never united to Jesus in the first place. Remember, Judas Iscariot is in the room when Jesus is teaching this. So he knows it's possible to be one of his closest friends following him, doing all the things that Judas did for three years, and actually, ultimately, Judas proved himself to have never been truly united to Jesus. At the end, in another part of the Gospels, Jesus says there's a, there's a type of person, and the Bible teaches that we're all going to give an account to Jesus for our life. If that's hard for you, that's understandable. That is a hard thing to get our heads around. Come talk to me afterwards. The Bible is very clear. We're going to give an account to Jesus for our lives. And Jesus says there'll be some people who when that moment happens, they will say things like, I've, I've, I prophesied, I, I saw demons cast out, I did all the stuff, all the activity. And Jesus <laughs> will respond with these very sobering words. I never knew you. I would rather that wasn't in the Bible. I'll just be honest with you. I really would. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you just kind of read stuff and it's woo. But it is. And it kind of makes sense because we know that Jesus is after the heart. 
He's never been about activity. He's never been about how much you prophesy or how much you might see people healed or, or how many people you might draw towards faith in him or what you might do or how much money you might give. He's never been about that. So it's kind of consistent that ultimately he would hold us to a heart issue when it's always been about a heart issue. That he would say, did you, did you allow yourself through faith to be united to me? Did you say something on the lines of, I cannot be fruitful on my own. I can do impressive stuff maybe, but I cannot please God. I cannot honor Jesus. I cannot make the glory of Jesus known, which is the fundamental purpose for our existence. Another big question, come and ask me afterwards if that's hard for you, but I can't do those things without God. So I come into this moment of momentary saving faith or gradual saving faith, but whatever it is, there's a moment where I say, God, I can't be fruitful without you. So would you graciously unite me to yourself and bring the healing and the wholeness and the restoration to me that I need, that I might now live this life imperfectly, but remaining and abiding in your love all the time, trusting that you will change me bit by bit. That's what happens. When the branch stays in the vine, the life flows from the vine to the branch all the time. It can't help but bear fruit. And then even more, the vine dresser, our American friend slash God the Father, comes with his secateurs and prunes to make sure that continues. So it's guaranteed. Jesus, Jesus unites us to him. He makes the abiding possible. He then gives us all that we need by his spirit to remain in him. But we make choices to do that because he's given us the dignity of choice. Without choice, how can we have a relationship? We'd be robots. He gives us the dignity of choice to remain, to abide in his love. And as we do that through things like prayer, fasting, he does the change. So you don't have to worry about whether I'm a Christian if there's been that moment or series of moments where you come to him and says, I can't do life, I can't please you ultimately without you. And then you exist in a community of faith like this one where we help each other and we stumble along together, making mistakes and jeeing each other along. The change comes with him at the wheel. I really hope that, I feel like I'm walking a tightrope of theology. And I, I, I am. And it'd be much easier to say, I'm just trying to walk a tightrope. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> if you feel like I haven't walked a tightrope, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to do that. I want us to worship together in a moment. So let me just make one more point. Prayer. Jesus promises that prayer will uh, be fruitful when we abide in his love. He says these remarkable words. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Again, this has given me much pause for thought this week. I've asked a lot of things of God and he hasn't done them. I wish for a lot of things. Do you? So what does he mean? Got to explore together. Like if you're, if you're not yet coming to faith or you're new to faith, can you be assured that we're a community that's committed to exploring together all the time? We need to because there's hard stuff in here, isn't there? So what's he getting at? Well, the Bible and my experience tell me this. The more that I pray... The more that I abide in his love, give thanks to him for his love, enjoy his love, understand and explore who he is and what he's like, I start to become a little bit more like him. We established that, yeah? The fruit of the Spirit starts to flow. So because I become a little bit more like him and a bit less like the person I was before I was united to him, 
I start to pray a bit like he does. The Bible tells us that Jesus prays for us. There's some extraordinary heavenly dynamic taking place that I don't fully understand where God the Spirit and God the Son and God the Father are having a, an interaction of prayer at this very moment for you and for this church. Can you believe that? And as you abide in the love of that Godhead for you, you find yourself becoming a bit more like that God and therefore praying the things that he prays. And so some of the things that we wish for start to find their right place. And some things that he wishes for start to find their right place. And what Jesus is basically saying is, if you were entirely like me, if you knew everything that I know, you would find every single prayer of yours answered. But in my grace and kindness, when you abide in me, I will bit by bit change you and you will pray things that you never meant to and I will still cultivate and change and draw you in. Let me give you an example. Wife, I didn't ask your permission to share this. <laughs> when Caroline had a sort of slightly complex uh, dating relationship in that we dated for a while and we broke up for two years and then we got back together again that's the very short version of a long story in, that, in those two years when we were apart which I thought all the time was to do with complex spiritual things basically to do with the fact I wasn't mature enough to commit basically in that time because I was living in this kind of pain of, I, I would love to be with this amazing woman, but I don't know how to be your kind of, I was living in that kind of pain place. Are you feeling the angst yet? Good. I prayed a heartfelt prayer which said this, God is too painful to be apart from her. <sighs> so, please can you make sure she meets and marries someone else? I prayed that loads. And God didn't answer. Thank goodness. <laughs> but I really meant it, genuinely. I didn't pray thinking this would be a great illustration one day for a sermon. It really helped us understand the complexity of prayer. I prayed it because I meant it. God didn't answer. I answered the opposite way. It's just one example of what happens in the dynamic of prayer. If we knew all that he wished for, we would pray exactly what he wishes for. And the more that we abide and remain in him, the more we become like him, the more that we pray like him, the more that we'll see him do things. As best I know it, God wants to do some good things in the life of this church. Uh, Becca had a word this morning about new things. Is that right? Do you want to elaborate on that? No. She had a word about new things and God doing a new thing in the life of this church. The good things, I believe, in the life of this church to happen. We want to be a community of people that can help Kingston explore faith for the first time, don't we? We want to be a community of people that continue to explore faith ourselves, to grow, to learn, to ask the tough questions, to find God. We want to be a community of people that are able to encounter the presence and person of God more regularly in our own lives, not just in meetings and services, but in a day-to-day -day thing, the water cooler moment as much as the church service moment. We want to be a community of people that are empowered by the Spirit of God to be the kind of person he's called us to be. And even though we have gifts and skills that we can do quite well with, there is a source of power in the vine that can cause us to do all kinds of extraordinary things. Like make Jesus known and know him more. And we want to be a community of people that will engage with love in a broken, hurting world. And learn how to do that strategically and prophetically. And we're starting to get some clarity on how that's to happen. What do we do locally, nationally, internationally that means we reflect something of the love of God to people? For all of that to happen, God needs to do a, a special thing. 
in some sense, is not a new thing, because those things have been in the DNA of King's Church for a lot longer than I've been around. But in some sense, it's a new thing. A new thing in, in growing leadership teams. A new thing in, in being able to build genuine, authentic uh, relationships with Kingston people. Which is hard to do when we all work. Most of you work away. A, a, a new thing in terms of understanding how to worship in spirit and truth. How to step out in spiritual gifts. A new thing in how to cause Kingston to taste something of the, of the kingdom of heaven on earth in this place. That the elderly might experience friendship and not loneliness. A new thing in terms of fostering and adopting, being part of the culture of who we are, either internationally through something like Compassion or, or more specifically through something like Home for Good or, or wrapping around those that do it in the life of the church, but a new thing that our church might be known. I believe from God, as best I know it, he wants us to be known in part for demonstrating the pinnacle of the gospel, which is that we're adopted by God into his family because he's a loving, wonderful, generous, gracious father. We're gonna demonstrate that by helping children to find a home who wouldn't otherwise have a home which might be literally in this community or might be indirectly through other kinds of different ways. Didn't expect to say that. Let's abide in him together this week. If you're brand new to us, come and join us. Come and do it as well. We'd love you to join us. If fasting freaks you out, that's okay. Read the booklet. Make your own choices and decisions. Fasting from food is the primary thing the Bible means, but fasting from social media is also incredibly helpful. I did it over Christmas. Come and join us. Let's see what God's going to do in your life this week. It might be fruitfulness. might be some pruning. might be there's a warning coming in. Warnings aren't incompatible with love, are they? Loving parents warn children. Loving doctors warn patients. Loving teachers warn pupils. Maybe there's a warning at play for you or for those close to you. And fourthly, what would it be like to begin to pray like God prays? And to see him answer in your life, in those that you love and are dear to, and in the life of this community that I love and is dear to me.